0: This morning, I wanted to speak to the subject of right thinking. You know, we've been working through the the letter, the book of Philippians, for a number of weeks now. We're just going verse by verse, as we always do. And so we come to these next two verses, and we're just simply looking at how to think rightly. We live in a day and age where that is hard to do at times, but we need to learn to think rightly. In other words, to think biblically. So to get our minds kind of going in that direction, I want to just kind of lay the groundwork and hopefully set things up to learn from what God's Word has to say. If you haven't realized it, it's summertime outside. Uh, we were at the pool yesterday for uh, almost a couple hours, and so my family and I are red today because of that. It's summertime. We love summertime. Who loves summertime? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we love summertime. It's a wonderful time of the year. In fact, we spend most of the winter thinking about summer. We spend our wintertime thinking, man, when is it going to be sunny outside? When is it going to be warm outside? When is it going to be where I'm no longer pasty white? Because I got that iris uh, DNA in my body, so I, I, I get really, really white. I love to get uh, uh, kind of a, well, I don't know that I'd ever get a glowing tan because of uh, of my uh, skin color, but I like to, to get a tan. I like to be beside the pool. I'm, I'm married to a woman who wants to be beside the beach. I would prefer to be in the boat on the lake, but we all want to be out in the sun and near the water. And so we spend uh, much time, much money thinking and moving in that direction. In fact, we even go so far in our preparation for the summer to spend our spring losing the pounds we gained during summer. I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hands on that one, but uh, that's what people do. And so uh, people will begin to run, they'll begin to exercise, they'll join a gym, go to an exercise class, do whatever's necessary to get in shape for the summer season. And when you talk to fitness experts, uh, perhaps you you get a a trainer to help you through this process, what they're going to tell you is exercise is good. Exercise is beneficial. Activity is good for your body. It's good for moving in the direction you want to go. But you must couple it with a good diet. It's hard to outwork a bad diet. You can lift, you can run, you can do all the things you want to do, and it's going to move you a little bit in the direction you're wanting to go. But if you couple it with a good diet, it will exponentially move in the direction of fitness and losing, dropping those unwanted pounds. So we need to eat right because in many ways you are what you eat. You know, the same is true of our minds. I want you to think about this as we talk about right thinking this morning. Max Hickerson said it this way, a man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. Mold that, I want you to mold that over in your mind once again as I say it. A man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. See, a troubled mind is a convenient depository for the seeds of doubt, despair, wickedness, whatever you want to put there that's, that's bad. And, and the enemy understands this about us. He understands that the, that, that the mind is where the war is really waged. And so the enemy wars against our lives by attacking our minds. You probably have seen this and experienced this in your own life. He used this tactic all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, what does the enemy, the serpent, come and do with Eve? He begins to question, has God really said?" So he questions the word of God. He puts doubt in there. He looks for a crevice and he exploits it. Paul understood that this is the same tactic the enemy was using against the church. And so to the Corinthians, he said this in 2 Corinthians 11, He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So in the beginning, the enemy used this tactic. During the days of Paul in the early church, the enemy used this tactic. And so we can easily suffice it to say he's continuing to use this same tactic against us in this day and age. There's a battle for our minds being waged. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church to warn them, and the admonition he gives to them is an admonition for us, a warning for us to listen, to pay attention, and to understand the danger that's lurking there. But thankfully, God has given us weapons we can draw upon in this fight. Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, when we're engaging in this fight, we're not drawing a physical sword, we're not pulling up in battle array with other physical soldiers. No, we're engaging on this intellectual, spiritual plane as we. Make sure our minds are tuned in to God in His Word and tuning out the things that are in error. This battle for holiness begins and ends in the mind. Uh, Last Sunday, Pastor Nate. Uh, reminded us how we live a life of worship and a life of service to the Lord as he there took Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and talked about how living for the Lord, living a life of worship that models the holiness and love of Jesus begins on the inside. And and we got to continually come back to that well and have our minds renewed and transformed through the word of God. So as we look at this and talk about this, we're not talking about a surface-level morality. We're not talking simply about behavioral modification. We're talking about how does the Word of God and the, and the life of God well up from the inside and begin to press itself out so that outwardly we, we model and live the life of the Lord that's within us. So it's imperative for believers to think rightly. It says, as Woodrow Wilson once said, he that will not command his thoughts will soon lose command of his actions. Everything in your life begins in the mind and what you think, how you perceive different things. You see, that which fills your mind is going to determine the trajectory of your thinking and that which consumes your thoughts determines the course of your actions. What you allow into your mind is going to be fleshed out through how you live. And Paul's picking up on this theme here in this final exhortation to the Philippians. Look at verses 8 and 9. And let's see what Paul has to tell these believers about thinking rightly. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't have time to really maybe go into what I feel like I want to say right now as far as that, that promise there, but let me just say it simply here. We want to take these two verses and we want the peace of God to be with us, right? But to have the peace of God in our life, it's much like we looked at verses four through seven. We have to first go to God, live and surrender in full submission to his will, his direction, and live from that perspective. Then we have the peace of God in our lives. And so let's look at this this morning. For Christians to grow in likeness to Jesus, we have to have a renewed mind. We talked about that last Sunday. The Bible has much to say about that. You see, God has blessed this church with his word, and his word is the primary means of purifying our minds. Listen to what Jesus prayed in John seventeen seventeen: Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How do you have a sanctified mind? How do you have a pure mind? How do you have holy and good thoughts that's gonna determine the course of how you live your life in every capacity? It begins with what you believe is true. And Jesus says, your word is truth. David, King David in Psalm 139, prayed for God to examine his thoughts saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David knew that real change involves his thoughts, his mind. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets at the very heart, the very thought behind adultery and murder when he said and called attention to the sinfulness and the lustful and malicious thoughts that were behind these things. Jesus says, You don't actually have to physically commit adultery to commit adultery. Lusting for a woman is the same thing. How could it be the same thing? Because it begins in the thoughts. You don't just fall into that. Murder is not just going out and physically killing somebody. You murder them in your thoughts. You murder them in the words that you say. All of that is fueled by how you think. See, what we think matters, and it matters more than we think it does. So we need God's Word to saturate our minds that we may be renewed and kept from offensive Ways. Paul highlights the need to think admirable things here in these two verses. He presents the path to right thinking. And so I'm going to highlight three things for us this morning. First of all, we see here that there are things to embrace. There are things to embrace as we change our thinking process. There are things that we need to hold close. There's things that we need to hold dear. Look at what he says. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, embrace them. Bring them into your life. Put them into your mind. He says embrace truth. How many of us are embracing truth in all aspects of our life? Embrace honorable and dignified things. Embrace justness and righteousness. Embrace purity and innocence. Embrace lovely and pleasing things. Embrace commendable. In other words, things that are well spoken of. That there's no objection to that. That, that everyone is in agreement that this is a good, commendable thing. That which is morally excellent. That, is, that which is admir- admirable. These are the things Paul says we ought to think of. This term here to think about, it it carries the idea of calculation, that that we would very determinedly think through this and calculate what it means for our lives. See, believers who desire to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, a life that models the heart of Jesus before the world, should dwell, should think, should ponder, should carefully consider and reflect on virtuous things in their lives, thinking about those things. See, as a follower of Jesus, there are some things that you and I must embrace if we want to think rightly. So there are things to embrace. And when you think about that, that also means there's a counterpart to it. Secondly, there are some things to reject, right? There are some things to reject. Now, we as Christians many times too often are known for what we reject versus what we embrace. Uh, We need to be known for what we embrace. We embrace truth. We embrace good things and holy things. Much of the controversy surrounding our denomination right now leading to our annual meeting centered around a critical race theory and what, what, the, the, the hole that it's taking in our culture. And so there were people in our denomination who wanted us to very strongly and, and dogmatically call it out and say, this is wrong. Instead, we adopted a resolution that says we, we, we reject any and all philosophies that would build around ethnicity and race and, and anything else that would bring value to a person's life. We say none of that is true. And so there was great con- con- conversation. I guess you could put it in those words. It was kind of controversy around that. And, and so may, maybe headlines, I didn't watch the headlines, but maybe the headlines this week were all about what we're not for. And I'll just go on record. I'm not for crit- critical race theory. I'm not for anything that would, that would deem a person's value other than what the Bible says about that person. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. They're made in the image of God, regardless of skin color, what side of the tracks you grew up on, or any other terrible classification we would put there. We need to be for some things, but we also need to be against some things. And Paul lays out... Uh, indirectly, some things that we should be rejecting. See, we want to embrace some things means that we're rejecting those other things. There is a good and a bad approach to everything in life. We know this to be true. So as followers of Jesus who desire to think rightly, we're going to embrace truth rather than error. We're we're going to uphold the Word of God and believe everything in it, and we're going to reject anything that would come against this Word and seek to discredit it. We're going to embrace truth rather than error. We're going to embrace honorable and dignified things rather than dishonorable things. We're going to embrace that which is just and righteous rather than that which is unjust and unrighteous. We're going to embrace that which is pure and innocent rather than things that are impure. We're going to embrace that which is lovely and pleasing rather than that which is repulsive. Embrace commendable, well-smoken things rather than things that are wrong There's a lot of things wrong in our culture, a lot of things wrong in our world today. And we want to reject those while holding up and highlighting and prioritizing the things that are commendable. Embrace that which is morally excellent rather than filthy, sleazy. Embrace the admirable rather than the shameful. See, the path to right thinking, the path to right living means there are some things that we must reject. There are some things in your life that you have to reject. We can't embrace everything. We want to embrace what God embraces. We want to reject what God rejects. We're going to talk more practically about this in just a moment. The apostle here, however... Is not instructing us to discount everything found in creation, everything found within the culture. Paul's not calling the Philippians to build walls around their church and to say, no, we're going to insulate and isolate. Paul never called the church to do that. The Bible never calls us as the people of God to do that. Instead, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to live our lives to be lights of the gospel, the little Jesuses set within our communities to be Jesus to those people. But we're not ever to engage in the worldly things that they're engaging in. We're calling them out of that. We're calling them out of darkness into the light. That's what we're called to do. But that means we must say no to some things. There's some things we must reject. And so we don't reject Everything found in creation. Think about it. God is the creator and giver of all good gifts. I just read out of James 1.17. And so it should not surprise us to find many good qualities within the world. I mean, you get up on an early morning. Maybe you're at the beach and you go down there and you look at the sunrise. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Driving back up here, even in Nashville this week, I guess it was the same here. Man, to have 80 degrees, no humidity glorious i walked outside this morning it's like where'd the no humidity go it it left it went out to the ocean now it's humid because i guess we got the system coming in god gives us many good things in this world and even in the cultures in which we live our responsibility is to sift everything through the grid of god's word to determine what's good and what's bad it's god who determines morality and so we should ponder on that which the Bible finds worthy of our thoughts, worthy of our time, worthy of our energy, and reject all of that which the Bible finds unworthy of our thoughts and our energy. Right thinking. How do you get it? It's the result of daily meditation on the Word of God. I mentioned, I think, when I was praying for dads earlier and praying for the offering, uh, my dad died September 22, 1993. He was 35 years old. I was 15. My Final memory of my dad. Sitting there in our kitchen breakfast area, I guess, before he went to work that morning, reading his old Schofield King James Bible. That thing was like this thick. It was all marked up, tattered, falling apart. Reading his Bible, spending time with the Lord before he went out to change tires all day in the hot sun. That's my memory of my dad. What a great memory it is. It's the word of God that teaches us how to live and how to serve God. So we got to fill our hearts. we got to fill our minds with truth. And when we do that, it's going to give us a built-in radar for detecting wrong thoughts, which lead to wrong living. So as a follower of Jesus, there are some things that you and I must reject if we want to think rightly. Here's the third thing I want us to highlight. The things embraced must be applied. Verse, four, verse 9 of chapter 4. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Notice what Paul says. Practice these things. Apply them to your life. Put them in to work in your life. So Paul, again, is returning to his appeal to follow good examples. We've seen this theme of emulation throughout the letter. He's talking about how people are to look at him. People are to look to others and they're to follow that good example. Follow that good example of faithfulness. Follow that good example of, of passion for the Lord and passion for the laws, and passion for the word of God. Now he sums it all up by instructing believers to apply and to put into practice these things in their lives. You see, knowledge is important. We need to know some things. But if you only have knowledge and never apply the knowledge, it is good for nothing, Right? How, much, how many things do we have in our life? How much knowledge do we have in our life that's absolutely worthless to us? You probably know a person that knows all kinds of just off-the-wall facts. I'm not going to ask you to point that person out, but I've been around a few of those throughout my life. And you're just like, why did you spend your life coming up with this piece of knowledge, which is good for nothing other than to win the Jeopardy! The contest, I guess you can maybe go on Jeopardy and win something. But if we have all of this knowledge and never put it into practice, it is worthless. Football season, thankfully, will be around the is around the corner. We'll be here before we know it. Uh, My Arkansas Razorbacks got knocked out of the World Series. their push for the World Series last Sunday evening, so I spent this whole week kind of licking my wounds and, and, and getting my disposition back because, uh, man, it's hard to be number one in the country for 13 straight weeks and then lose it all in just a weekend. It's, it's rough. I'm in counseling. It'll be okay. We'll get through this. Um, so football is on the horizon. That, that's the next thing for, for us sports enthusiasts. Think about what happens in fall camp. It would be about six weeks before we begin to kick off fall camp. One of the benefits of fall camp is you begin to learn pray, plays, learn strategy. you got new players coming in, regardless of, of what the level of football, high school, college, professional. doesn't matter. You're coming in. You're learning a new system. you got new players. you got returning players. All of that is trying to mesh together and build a team. So in fall camp, you're building the team. You're learning the scheme. You're working together and figuring each other out. What if you get to the season and you forget everything? You neglect everything you learned in camp. You don't pay attention to the plays, you don't think about the scheme, you don't do anything, you get to the games, and you just kind of do whatever you want. That would be absolutely foolish. Coaches spend all of that time instructing their players in practice. Why? So that they will apply it in the game. That's what we're called to do, to apply it in the game of life. J. J. White Pentecost had a good statement I came across this week. He says, maturity in the Christian is not measured by what a man knows, but what a man does. Think about that. The maturity level in your spiritual life is not based upon how much Bible you know. It's how much Bible you do. You think about the Great Commission. Jesus commands us as Christians go into all the world and make disciples. To do what? Teach them all, whatsoever I've commanded them. Teach them to obey whatsoever I've commanded them. That's what we're to do. We're to take what we know and we're to put it to work, to do it in our lives. So there, these things that we embrace have to be applied in our lives. That which fills our minds determines the trajectory of our thinking, and that which consumes our thoughts then determines our actions. And just as in many ways you are what you eat, you are equally what you think. So what does this mean for us? Let me give you two life applications. Number one, resolve to think holy thoughts. If you want to begin to think rightly, change your perspective what, what you think, how you think, it begins with your resolve. I will think holy thoughts. I will not dwell on, ponder, give ground to, give time to, give energy to that which is not holy. I'm going to think holy thoughts. Number two, resolve to follow holy examples. Paul says, what you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Practice these things. Follow my example. So we want to do the same thing. We're all learning from other people. We learn from the Word of God, and then we see it demonstrated in other believers' lives, and we ought to see those holy examples and emulate them in our own lives. So we're going to resolve to follow holy examples. We're going to resolve to to think holy thoughts. And then Paul offers a promise to these resolutions. The peace of God will be present. See, when you think about this and all that he's said, it only makes sense. He's talking about right praying. He's talking about right thinking and right living here. And all of these are the conditions for what possessing a restful mind free from anxiety is. When we do what God is instructing us here in this word, we can be assured the peace of God in our lives. When our thoughts, our affections, our concerns are properly placed on Jesus, how could we not have his peace? When we're doing things God's way, How could his peace not be in our lives? Truth is, it is in our life. We know he is trustworthy and true. We also know that because we have embraced certain things, and while rejecting other things, we are clean and nothing stands between us and the Lord. Perhaps the reason so many people don't have the peace of God in their life is not because God doesn't want it for them. It's because they would prefer other things, and they're nothing more than walking at a guilty distance. How many times do we do that in our own life? We know where we should be. We know how we should think. We know who we should be around. We know who we're around right now and how they're influencing our lives and how it pulls us away from what God wants for us in our thought life, in our actions, and in every aspect of who we are and what we're doing. We know where we should be. We know where we're at. And because we're not willing to take the step to get where we want to be, we walk at a guilty distance with the Lord. Does God love us? Yes. And we know that, but we're just not willing to say no to some things so we can say yes to the better things. But when we do, God's promise is true. The peace of God will be with us. And so right thinking leads to God's favor. You see, there's a holy communion He desires to have with us that can only be experienced through holiness. There's an aspect uh, aspect of knowing who God is that can only be experience when we walk closely with Him. Southern Baptist Convention, every year that we are there, we we're all busy, right? And so we will try to spend time with people that we've known throughout our ministry lives for the last two decades. And so we'll try to have lunch here or coffee there or dinner there or maybe speak to someone at an exhibit. Or We're just always trying to reconnect with people that we don't always get a chance to, to be around. Some of these guys, uh, we had lunch with a good friend of mine that I graduated high school with, and he, he, he works for Lifeway. And so we always see him at the convention. We've got to spend some time with him and his wife. It's always a wonderful time. But it's also a time of catching up. Why? Because we're not around them. We're not doing life with them. We're not spending all that time. Many times that's kind of the way our walk with the Lord is. Rather than being with the Lord daily, in and out, reading the Bible, spending time with God's people, God is more of of an acquaintance than a friend. He wants to be a friend in our lives. And to do that, we have to spend time with Him. He desires that for our lives. He desires to see holiness in us. So what what does this say about the things we allow to enter our minds through like the television? If God desires holiness and holiness sets us up to know God in a way that we can't know him when we're not living holy, what does that say about the things we watch in television? What does that say about the movies that we're going to see? What does that say about your queue with Netflix or whatever streaming service you use? What are you allowing to enter your mind that disrupts and and alters the way you think about things, which then in turn alters the way you do certain things and how you live your life? What does it say about the music you listen to? I love country music. I grew up on country music. I I listen to country music now. I kind of go in spurts. Like, one day I'm listening to uh, only The Message with Sirius XM in my truck, and maybe the next day I'm listening to Prime Country because I I love the 80s country. Like, I like old country. But what are most country songs about? My wife left me, my dog died, I got a beer. You know, it's it's not really wholesome stuff. So I I notice that it, it pulls me away from where I probably ought to be a lot of times. I know what I run to when my heart's heavy. I know what I run to when I need uh, the Lord a little bit closer in my life. I don't run to that stuff. I listen to music that's going to focus my attention upon the goodness and the greatness of God. I I listen to things that's going to focus my attention and bring me back into a clear understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Music influences us. Television influences us. Movies influence us. The things you look at on the internet, the things you read in books, the friends you're around, all of these are influences in your life. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and and cut all of the relationships that you have that are bad and and that people are not loving Jesus and walking with Jesus. If we did that, we couldn't fulfill the Great Commission. Again, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. But at the same time, when somebody's having more of an influence on you than you're having on them, In other words, their their, their wickedness of their life is penetrating yours instead of yours penetrating them. You might need to take a sidestep and push yourself away just a little bit so that you can refocus. God can grow you so that you can be a gospel influence in their lives. These are all influences that alter the way we think and ultimately how we live. This morning, I hope that we see in this passage uh, that we need to fill our minds with God's word. We need to reject error while embracing the truth. You see, a man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. A couple weeks ago, I was playing with our church league softball team, and uh, I thought I was 23 again. <laughs> Top of the ninth inning, we're down like eight runs, and uh, Jared was like, hey, we're going to do this. And So I was the leadoff batter. So I got up there, and, and I took a couple balls or whatever. I, I don't know what I did, but I swung at one, and I, I drove it to the shortstop. And as I'm coming out of there, uh, running to first base, I noticed he kind of bobbled it. And so I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to gut this out. I used to be fast for my size and all of that. And I thought, I'm going to gut this out. Man, I got about two steps from the base and pulled a muscle. And it has been fun for two weeks, let me tell you that. I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm not what I think I am, but here's what we see in this passage. How I think, that determines who I am. The enemy understands this reality. He wars against our lives, attacking our minds constantly. And we can, though, combat his attacks by filling our minds with the truth. We combat this by resting in the sufficiency of Christ, resting in the sufficiency of his word. Paul's not calling us here to white-knuckle it through our Christian lives. He's calling us to rest in the Lord, to, to take up his weapons of warfare. And that begins in the mind with how we think. We allow the word of God to penetrate Our hearts and our minds. Leaning on Jesus, trusting in the gospel. We know this because he refers to them as brothers. Brothers means that they are. Followers of Jesus means there's a time in their life where they understood their sinfulness, their separation from God. They embraced Jesus, believed the gospel, turned from their sin, and received forgiveness. So, Paul's not telling them to just work on themselves. He's not calling us to positive thinking, he's not calling us to, to a group therapy here. He's calling us to learn to rest in God fill our hearts and minds with his word and allow God's life to be transformative in our lives from the inside out, to press Jesus out through us. How does that fit you this morning? Are you regularly allowing the searchlight of God's spirit to use the word of God to identify and lead you to repent of the things that you think wrongly about? And while rejecting those things or replacing it with the truth of the gospel. Christian, what is it that fills your mind today? What is it that fills your mind? I'll be honest. This past week, I, I'm a, I probably told you before, if you know me well, you know I'm a political junkie. I watch news as much as I can. Here's what I've noticed, which I've already known to be true, but this is what I was reminded of this week. Because of the busyness of the week, I didn't watch a lot of news. In fact, I watched miniscule news. Maybe some snippets of stuff as I'm getting ready in the morning as we're trying to hustle out the hotel to, to beat the 20,000 people crowd to the convention center. I mean, it was, it was rough. And so I missed a whole week, week's worth of frustration and, and all that nonsense. What is it that fills our minds today? If you're a constant news cycle like I probably am, it probably affects your attitude. It probably affects how you think about things. You probably look at life more from a I'm just going to, this is Powhatan, so I think I know who most of the people are, but you're probably viewing life through the lens of Republican conservatism rather than Biblical Christian conservatism. And where do you think we ought to align? Biblical cr- Christian conservatism. That, uh, the lens of Scripture ought to be the grid that everything is sifted through, everything is seen through, not vice versa. So, what fills our minds today? What are we embracing? Are are those things honorable or are they sleazy? How would your walk with the Lord benefit if you change the kind of music you listen to just for 10 days? Do a trial. How would it benefit if you change the things you watch or don't watch for 10 days? Again, it's not about behavior modification, it's about allowing yourselves to be put into position to hear from God. Our kids are about to go to camp, I think it's like next week. Is that right? Or is it the week after? I get our summer schedule so uh, mixed up because we got so many things going on in the church this summer, it's so good. But we got kids going to kids camp in just a, a number of days. we got our students going to student camp next month. The beauty about camp is our kids and those adult leaders get away from the things that they're constantly around and their minds are able to be cleared out and so they can hear from God. Their hearts are more open. That's why we go to camp. Man, what would happen if we begin to clear out some things in our schedules and some things that we constantly fill our minds and hearts with and just allowed ourselves to set before the Lord and Him replace all that junk with His goodness and His truth? This morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that through this, you're beginning to see the futility of worldly things. They promise much, but never deliver. See, the world knows nothing of lasting peace. It's, that peace can only be found in Jesus. So if you've never came to know Jesus the Lord and Savior, maybe you're online or here in the house, today needs to be the day of salvation for you. Your thinking needs to change, and that begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ.